This is Undisciplined, I'm Claire Scott. Imagine you're in a theater, perhaps with your friends or family, and before long the lights dim and everyone turns their attention to the screen. For the next two hours or so, your focus is on the picture before you. By the time that credits roll and you leave the theater, you've learned something about the characters in the film, and perhaps even about yourself. You walk outside, glaring into the bright sun, and the way you see the world is a little bit different than it was two hours ago. Films and TV have an interesting consequence of granting an audience a glimpse into the lives of the characters on the screen, allowing us to live vicariously through them, experiencing a level of their emotions, their successes or trials, most of which we may never experience in our own lives. In a study published in Mass Communication and Society, researchers looked into this phenomenon, specifically surrounding movies with eudaimonic narratives. The study classifies eudaimonic films as films that highlight moral virtues and the meaning and purpose of life. This study found that not only are eudaimonic films capable of influencing the behavior of its audience, but the emotional well-being as well. These films do this by helping individuals feel they can make sense of the difficulties in their lives, motivating their pursuit of moral goals, and supporting greater acceptance of the human condition. This research was done by Jared Ott, Naomi Tan, and Michael Slater. Jared Ott is a PhD candidate in the School of Communication at The Ohio State University. His research focuses on narrative communication messages with interest in message engagement and processing, persuasive and well-being outcomes, and improving measurement. Jared, thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so I just want to begin by saying this was a really fascinating study to me because it felt really applicable. Um, I've often felt that media I consume shapes the way I think and I see the world, and researchers have been looking into this phenomenon for years now, and you've cited multiple other studies as well. So you yourself and some of the other studies that you cited talk about the real behavioral change associated with films with eudonomic narratives. Your study takes this a step further by placing an emphasis on the influence these movies have on the well-being of the audience. For some reason, you felt that it was important not only to mention the well-being aspect of this influence, but dive deeper into it. Why was this? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the things that we were really sort of guided by in this research was the understanding of sort of this body of uh, research looking at like narrative therapy techniques and the idea that people can have their sense of their their life and their purpose and sort of this um, this coherent narrative, but that can be disrupted at various points in time. And so that was really one of the motivating questions was, is it possible that this type of media might be able to give people some resources to help deal with some of the situations that they might face in their own lives that might cause sort of a disruption to that narrative sense of self. Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that. I was actually going to try and get you to talk about these things used as a form of therapy. I think that's so fascinating because as someone who does feel, you know, the influence of these media, especially like I experienced something similar that I see in a film, It's almost like a guide for someone and inspiration for them, no matter what they're going through, that they can get through it and they can come out the other end, like you said in the study, a little bit stronger. Yeah. And it's funny that you use the word inspiration there, because that's actually one of the things that sort of went into our our thinking and sort of developing some of these measures and the idea that, you know, when we say a particular media experience inspired us, 
what exactly do we mean by that? And I think that one of the senses of what that actually means is that it provided us with sort of uh, models or uh, examples for how people might cope with similar difficulties or similar situations that they're going through in their lives. And so, uh, you know, that was one of the things that we tried to capture in this study was, you know, to what extent does viewing these particular films, these media exemplars, to what extent do they actually give people resources to help cope with some of their own, you know, challenges and specific situations they might face in their own lives? I wanted to touch on a little bit about your research. Um, it focuses a lot on the effects of narrative entertainment messages, and your dissertation project centers around exploring how entertainment media can affirm important values and what opportunities might that might provide. So it seems to me like these past research projects and even the ones that you're currently working on would be a beneficial source of information for you in this study as they kind of revolve around parallel concepts? Yeah, so the idea of values um, really plays a role both in, in this particular project regarding uh, eudaimonic media as well as, as sort of what I'm working on in my dissertation. And so really, they're sort of coming at values from different perspectives. So in terms of these, you know, more meaningful media experiences, these films, you know, again, we, we use the word eudaimonic, but, you know, just sort of meaningful films. We are trying to see to what extent does the presence of values that an individual finds important in their own life, um, do they help, you know, facilitate these, these outcomes that we were looking at? And the interesting thing is that we found that this was something that, that really occurred regardless of the types of films. So the ones that were more meaningful and then our separate condition that were less meaningful, we saw the same effect across both of those conditions. And so really, you know, it tells us that even some action-packed thrillers that we might see, and we might, we might not necessarily say like, oh, that's, you know, a more meaningful type of film, but even those types of movies and media experiences can contain sort of uh, value-resonant information that, that can still impact viewers. Yeah. So this idea that you mentioned of a match in values, if the values in the audience and the film match up, they increase the influence of the eudaimonic narrative on its audience. There is a question, though, of the effect of a film with opposing values, though we can't know for sure unless further research is done. What do you think would be the result of a person watching any movie with like values that are opposite of what the audience has? Yeah, so that's that's a great question, um, and it's it's one that we've certainly thought about, and you know, would like to explore, you know, going forward. Because, as you mentioned, it's one thing to say, you know, here's an example of a media experience that really aligns with my values, but in cases where the values are different, is that a case where we might see it have different types of of effects? And I think there's a variety of different outcomes that we we might expect to see, and it's hard to say which one, but you know, we might see that exposure to different sets of values kind of expands our um, sense of what's important. Uh, it kind of illustrates for us how these values that maybe we didn't rank as highly in our own life actually are important and meaningful. And so it could certainly have that type of an effect. And also, you know, there's some other work that I've done recently um, looking at the effect of values in media that that is affirming, you know, kind of similar to, to the work I'm doing in my dissertation that you mentioned. And we actually saw in that case that sort of an opposite effect, that when a value was affirmed, 
that was sort of going against their typical value structure, that that actually um, provided them with more resources to help you know, buffer against threats to their identity. So kind of an unexpected effect, and it may be something where individuals are sort of comparing themselves against others. And so there's sort of this like downward social comparison, you know, where they, they feel better about themselves in relative to or compared to um, this other exemplar in the media. So, you know, it's a really fascinating area of research. There's, there's a lot that we don't know at this point, but definitely a lot of opportunities going forward. Yeah. So match of values was one of the things you used to analyze people's responses to these types of films. But you also had three forms of mediation, elevation, poignancy, and emotional range. What do these mean in relation to eudaimonic narratives, and why did you feel like they were the best choice for mediating exposure to these films? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the work on, you know, these meaningful media really looks at sort of the emotional response that individuals have to encountering, you know, these types of films or TV shows or whatever they may be. And so these mediators that we were looking at were primarily focused on the emotions that one feels. And so elevation is, is sort of this other praising emotion that you feel in response to seeing individuals perform acts of moral virtue. Whereas poignancy is the sense of both positive and negative emotion at the same time, you know, sort of this, you know, bittersweetness we might expect from some of these more um, meaningful types of media experiences. And then the one that we really added in, in this study, sort of a novel one, was this, this idea of emotional range, which sort of takes that idea of poignancy, of having these sort of separate emotions and just expands it to say, what if we look at sort of the broad range of emotions that an individual might feel? And might that broad range of emotions actually help to facilitate some of these outcomes in terms of coping resources and motivations to pursue moral motivations and goals and things. So, so yeah, those are sort of the emotional bases that we were looking at as our, our mediators in this study. There was a mention towards the end of the study about how all of these emotional mediators could possibly overlap and result in the same conclusions. Does this take away from the significance of your evidence at all? Well, not necessarily. Um, so, I mean, particularly when we're looking at emotions and things like this, you know, we do we do expect that there's going to be overlap. And so, you know, one of the things that um, we did actually look at, it wasn't actually included in, you know, the final version of this study, but we did actually look at, you know, some of these effects in parallel mediation and basically trying to see to what extent is there that overlap that you're talking about or to what extent are these effects, you know, just attributable to elevation per se, one, one of these things. And, and we did see that there was still some important effects, you know, even when you sort of take out that overlap there. And so I think that, you know, each of these things does contribute, but when we're talking about these sort of emotional responses that are very subjective in nature, there's bound to be some level of overlap between them. Right. On the lines of the significance and true evidence that supports the fact that eudonomic narratives really do influence people, what does this influence look like from an outsider's perspective? So, you know, behavioral change was referenced in the study, 
as well as like the well-being of someone. But if I was looking at a person who had just watched a film that was really meaningful to them and they felt moved by it in some way, would I see those changes in them, in their actions, in the way that they see themselves and and see the world? So that's that's a really interesting question. And, you know, one thing that we always want to emphasize is that these are certainly, um, you know, very subjective effects that, that were reported by our audience members. And also um, that these things are more likely to, to be noticeable in the long term in, in terms of cumulative effects. So it's not necessarily that we might want a doctor to prescribe viewing some of these movies, you know, for someone who's depressed or going through difficulties, but there are actually Think there are important psychological benefits that, that people can experience. And, and actually, to give you sort of a recent and real-world example of this, um, you may be aware that the Friends reunion just occurred. So my wife is a big fan of Friends, and so uh, we were actually watching that the other evening. And I noticed that they interviewed some of the fans of the show, and one of them mentioned how they were going through a transition and they didn't have a lot of friends in their real life at the time. And that the show sort of provided that for them. That gets into a lot of, you know, character-specific aspects that we didn't really address in this study. But I think the broader point is that, you know, for that individual, their experience with media really helped them in a lot of, you know, tangible ways, uh, you know, dealing with some of the, the difficulties they were experiencing through that transition. And so I think that that's sort of the same thing that we're, we're looking at here, sort of what are those psychological benefits, coping resources that people might gain through exposure to these narratives, and especially, you know, over the long term as they view these types of media. Yeah, that is a great example. That's exactly how I feel that I personally feel in this regard. And I'm sure there's many examples of other people who feel the same way. So as far as like your hypotheses and expectations, they all seem to turn out to be true. All your hypotheses, like one through eight, C or so, they're all validated in the study. And so was there anything that surprised you about these results? It seemed as if you were kind of expecting everything to kind of to lay out how it happened. Yeah, well, I mean, for this particular study, um, we did get a lot of positive effects in the direction that, that we were, uh, you know, hypothesizing for. And that's certainly not always the, <laughs> the result in, in terms of research and things. So we were certainly pleased with that. But there were some things that were maybe not surprising so much, but were really interesting things that we had questions about, and, and they really helped to confirm some things for us. And so an example of those would be um, our findings regarding value match. And so um, the fact that people tend to to look at these as there's meaningful media on the one hand, and then there's this more just sort of entertainment media, you know, that's just fun and you want to, you know, escape from the, the, the heavier things of life and, and experience, but they're, they're sort of two separate categories. And um, what was interesting about the value match results is that it showed that there's actually a lot of these elements in terms of values and meaning that can actually occur in either of those sets of films or TV shows or media, whatever they may be. And so 
again, I mean, that, that, was, that was something that we had suspicions about going into, but it was really sort of neat to see how that played out and the fact that, you know, we can actually say that, that even for these films that are not typically considered meaningful, people do still see, you know, values emphasized, are able to pull meaningful things away from those media experiences as well. Yeah, that was one of the things that stuck with me as I was reading. And another thing that I wanted to talk about that stuck with me was when you glanced over the phrase death anxiety and kind of how you talked about how films like this equip people with the ability to better handle things like death anxiety in their own life. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it is important just just to note that, you know, this we didn't conduct an experiment here, um, you know, where we were, you know, directly comparing um, exposure to immediate outcomes in that manner. But in terms of people's self-reported effects regarding, you know, these different films that, they, that they'd experienced, we did see that people reported that they were, they felt a sense that they, they had more resources to be able to deal with difficulties that they might face and to be able to sort of make sense of those things. And so I think this connects, again, back to that idea of narrative therapy has been doing this for a long time, where they help people who have had some sort of a disruption to their life. You know, maybe it's a chronic illness, maybe it's a, a loss of a loved one, you know, a big transition, and there's disruption there. And narrative therapy helps them to sort of make sense of that and sort of help them to reintegrate their sense of their narrative self. And so... The idea is that these films might actually allow us to do something similar. They, they provide exemplars, uh, you know, people that, that are able to encounter difficulties. And they help us then to also be able to make sense of those difficulties. And, and even to your point about death-related anxiety, that was something that we looked at, you know, in a separate study and showed that, you know, our measure of how well these media help people make sense of difficulties it also lessened their anxiety towards death. And so again, I think it speaks to the ability for these media to sort of provide these psychological coping resources to people through modeling uh, behaviors and allowing them to feel a sense of, of meaningfulness and purpose, even in the midst of their own difficult life situation. Right. That's so fascinating to me. I think that specifically growing up in Utah, there's a lot of emphasis on religion around here and and a lot of people who maybe don't have that tie to religion. I feel like something like that is really prevalent and it just kind of stuck out to me and kind of put a perspective on the entire idea of narrative therapy as a whole. So I found that really interesting. I can see how the awareness of the influence of eudaimonic films can change how you consume media. I know that you focus on media and communication in most of your research. Have you seen shifts in the things that you watch or how you perceive them because you know what is going on behind the scenes? Yes, that's a really interesting question. Um, there's sort of a saying that researchers tend to, you know, always be researching themselves. <laughs> and so, you know, there's certainly, you know, a sense that these things are interesting to us because they are things that we interact with and experience in our own lives. But I've certainly noticed the more that I have researched these things and explored these different concepts and ideas that they, for one, they stand out a lot more. 
uh, in the media. You know, again, like that example I was talking about earlier with the Friends reunion, um, it was something that just jumped out like, hey, there's these same research concepts, you know, being played out on the screen in front of me. And so um, it certainly is the case that they become more apparent. And they also, I mean, I, I do think it influences, you know, some of the things I might be more interested in certain types of media that I see, because I'm, I'm curious about uh, some of these things, even the, the idea of something that has values that are discordant or that don't align with your own value structure. Maybe I wouldn't necessarily choose to watch something, but I might think that's an interesting question. You know, what, what types of things might we expect from those type of media experiences? And so, you know, that might lead me to investigate some of those more uh, in my own life. Yeah, that's so cool. I think this will definitely change the way that I see media as a whole, especially in eudonomic films. Because honestly, before I even read this article, I had no idea what the word eudonomic even meant or that it was a word. So it's definitely going to change the way that I perceive the things that I'm watching for probably a long time. Um, So this, as a reader and not quite a researcher, I like to read these things and learn more about it. But how did you see this research being used and, and people taking it and doing something with it in the real world now that your like hypotheses and everything turned out to be mostly true? Yeah, so again, you know, that's, a, um, that's an interesting question in terms of, you know, how do we actually apply this as much as we'd love to say you know we we found this really really great uh, intervention that's widely accessible to be able to give people uh, you know we understand that that it's it's not necessarily the case that that it'll be effective in, in all ways um, that easily that's that's simply um, however there are ways I think that these things can be incorporated um, and that that people, probably do use media in these ways without even recognizing it. Um, you know, a lot of the research on these different forms of media started out of sort of this uses and gratifications type of, of approach, saying, you know, why do people use or, or view certain types of media? You know, what, what are they trying to, um, you know, what needs are they trying to meet? Is it just for entertainment? Is it for escapism? Is it for other sort of, you know, purpose and, and meaning in their life? And so, um, and so really, I think people already do sort of use a lot of their media interactions in something of a, of a therapeutic or um, in a way that, that meets their needs. And so th- there may be ways to sort of, you know, highlight that. And, and maybe this is something that, again, doesn't like stand in for other types of um, interventions and things, but can certainly come alongside it and be, be helpful to people that are, that are dealing with, um, you know, certain situations. And on that note, uh, what is the next step for research surrounding the influence of these films? I mean, uses and actual application of this will come with even more research on this subject. So what do you see the next step being for the future of of this topic? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, there are a number of different directions moving forward that we'd, we'd like to, um, you know, continue to investigate. 
you know, as you, as you mentioned, there's a lot of, of room to sort of expand what we learned about the role of values in these films. Um, there are, uh, you know, values is a, is a very broad category. And so trying to better understand, you know, what types of values um, might be more important. Um, it, might, it might be that, you know, there are certain categories of, of values that are, are more impactful for people, um, for example. And so trying to understand some of those things. Um, and then also, you know, trying to expand our, our understanding of what are some of the real world felt, um, you know, effects or outcomes of, of, you know, viewing these types of films and, and media and things. And so, um, you know, we tried to expand that in this study, you know, we added some, uh, some new outcomes that we were looking at in terms of, you know, those psychological um, resources and benefits. But we can always take that that further. We can always look at, you know, um, further behavioral effects or, um, you know, even more long-term effects. The, one of the things that was interesting about this study was that it did kind of give us more of an insight into the, the effects of these in the long run. So rather than this being just an experiment where people are, are shown something and then, you know, ask the responses right afterwards, this is people's real world experience with films, you know, that they've seen over a number of years. And so um, I think there can be a lot of work to continue to, to understand, you know, what are some of those cumulative long-term effects of exposure to these various types of media? That's Jared Ott. He is a PhD candidate in the School of Communication at The Ohio State University, and his latest study was recently published in Mass Communication and Society. Jared, thank you for speaking with me today. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio, and if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Naomi Ward. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tussaud, and I'm Claire Scott. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.